We have been going through the book of Romans on Sunday morning, and uh, <clears throat> if you'll find your place in Romans, where Brother Jim read, Romans chapter 1, or, Lord willing, we're going to finish up chapter 1 today, and uh, you know, that's kind of a heavy, heavy book to go through on a Sunday morning. Most of the, uh, most of, uh, uh, I, I, I don't mean to be too disparaging, but most of church culture is about uh, pumping up and making you feel good. And, and I like that. We need encouragement. I mean, I think sometimes we need, we come in so discouraged and we need a lot of encouragement. I, I do believe that. I mean, we are going to heaven if you're saved today, right? This isn't, this isn't the end of it all. Could you imagine if this is all it was? Boy, we'd be of all, most men, uh, of all men, most miserable, I think Paul said, right? And, but this isn't it. This is the beginning. This is just a little blip that won't even show up on the radar when we leave this planet someday. It is so insignificant to eternity, but it has a lot of bearing on eternity, absolutely. We are going to be rewarded one day by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to have, um, those rewards are going to determine some of our, uh, some of our positions within the kingdom and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ here on this planet. I, I hope you understand that today. I know we've been taught for many years that once you're saved and everything's wonderful and great and, and, uh, there's therefore now no condemnation. That's very true. That is exactly true. But we are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as a, as a believer and give an account for what the work's done in the body. Amen. Listen. When you get into a book like Romans, it's kind of heavy, folks. It's a lot. It's doctrinally heavy. A lot of people. This isn't the one of the greatest books to deal with on a Sunday morning when you're trying to get people in a better mood. It really isn't. Okay, but we are talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It's two words. the The Greek word eu, which you get the word eulogy, a good, a good word, and the word angelos, a messenger. It's a good news. It's a compound word meaning good news. And we saw last week that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals God's righteousness, that He is right, that He is holy, that He is pure, that He is perfect, that He is just. This is what the gospel, it says here in our text, and verse 17, this is what the gospel reveals. And it reveals not only the righteousness of God, but it also reveals the complete unrighteousness of man, the our unrighteousness. How many would agree this morning that in and of yourself, you're pretty unrighteous? <laughs> That's pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so it reveals our unrighteousness. It reveals the filthiness of our own life and of our own minds and of our own actions and of our own desires. It reveals those things. And, uh, we mentioned this last week. If you want to, some people like to argue that they're pretty good. Well, I've never murdered. I've never done this. I've never done that. But if you would set yourself next to the pure and righteous holiness of God, we're going to look pretty filthy. Yeah, pretty filthy. And we can conclude that we are nowhere close to the righteousness of God. So if the gospel is the good news, why is this good news? God's unrighteousness or God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. Why is this good news? We saw last week because if God never revealed this to us, we could never see our need and we could never be fixed. You know, we need fixed, don't we? You know what I love the thought of this is that God loves broken things. God loves to repair broken things. And you and I were born into this world completely broken and in a complete mess. And see, the gospel is kind of like we said last week in MRI. It does reveal, it reveals what the problem is. But unlike the MRI, the gospel not only reveals, but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It reveals the righteousness of God, but it also reveals what the remedy is, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you believe that? We're good? Okay. It reveals the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the remedy of God. But you know what else the gospel reveals? 
There's something else that is revealed here, and we find it in verse 18. And I'm telling you, everybody likes to uh, talk about the love of God and the righteousness of God. I enjoy that. I love contemplating at times the great love of God that He has for us and that He has for you individually. You understand God's love for you. I, I hope you understand that. I hope this morning you are convinced that God loves you. I hope you're convinced of that. I know it's hard sometimes we look at our past, we look where we've been, and we sometimes we wonder how God could love somebody like us. I think of that hymn that says, How can it be that God should love a soul like me? Oh, how can it be? I think we've all asked that question, but we have to be convinced of the fact that God loves us. How do we know that? Because He said so. And He can't lie. He can't lie. But you know what? We like talking about the love of God. But we don't like talking about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord thy God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Over in Hebrews it says it again, For our God is a consuming fire. Think about that. If God did not punish sin, He would not be just. No, when we think about the, the, the wrath of God or the judgment of God, we think about it many times about our own sin and our own life, and we want to see the mercy of God. But hey, what about the sins of Joseph Stalin? What about the sins of Adolf Hitler? What about the sins of Planned Parenthood and those people that, that were in the business of selling aborted baby parts as they pulled that child out of the womb and dismembered it to sell its parts and throw the rest in the trash. What about them, huh? Yeah, you want the judgment of God there, don't you? You want the wrath of God there, don't you? Absolutely. What would your, no, let me ask you this. What would your view of God be if the serial killer and the child molester were never punished? Yeah. If God, listen, if God's wrath never answered the wickedness of mankind, God would be a colossal contradiction. He would not be fully just. He would not be fully right. He would not be fully holy. But the Bible truth revealed about God is this, that God's wrath is as dreadful as His love is beautiful. So notice verse 18. Look at the object of God's wrath. Thankfully, if you're in Christ today, this isn't about us. <laughs> Hallelujah. There is therefore no con- now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Yeah. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice this here. There's two, there's three things here that are listed as objects of the wrath of God. Number one, ungodliness. That is just simply the, the, the lack of reverence towards God. It's ungodly thought, even ungodly deeds. But if you notice, secondly, the unrighteousness, unrighteousness or, or the actual deeds done in the body, deeds that violate law and justice. So God's wrath is against ungodliness. God's wrath is against unrighteousness. And it says, notice that little word there, all. All. Yeah. There is nothing, listen, there is no unrighteousness, whether in thought or in deed, that does not fall under the hammer of God's wrath. There is nothing that's too small. There is nothing that's too insignificant or insignificant within ungodliness and unrighteousness. And notice thirdly, not just ungodliness, not just unrighteousness, but look at those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what does that mean? Would you notice that word there, hold? That word hold means to suppress. To suppress. God's wrath is against those who suppress the truth. You see this here? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? When we live unrighteously, we suppress truth. Hmm. 
You see, Jesus just isn't something we add to our life. Jesus just isn't a little go-along to help us out in life. Jesus changes everything about us. And if He is indwelling in us and living in us, the goal of our Heavenly Father is to make us like Him, which means what? That He is going to have full access to us to live His life through us, which is what? Righteousness and godliness, right? So watch, when we live ungodly, when we live unrighteously, what we end up doing is suppressing truth. We suppress truth. How do we, look what it says, in unrighteousness, by unrighteous living. Let me ask you this. I'm going to make you, you're already kind of maybe zoning out a little bit, so I'm going to make you think this will probably either put you into a total daze, glaze over in a stupor, or it might make you wake up. Let me ask you this. How can you see the righteousness? Let me say this right now. How can you see, visibly see, the righteousness of an invisible God. Does God parade around and show His righteousness? Does He put on display? Can we go, you know, rent a DVD of God's righteousness? Yeah. If the what? What? Just, the only way we can see the righteousness of God is through the lives and actions of those who are redeemed by God. So watch, when we suppress the truth by living unright when we live unrighteously, when we live in our life in an ungodly manner, we now suppress the righteousness of God. We hold it back, we hide it. We keep it from people be- watch, we keep it from being visible. So let me ask you this, if the suppression of righteous living, I'm sorry, if the rejection of righteous living suppresses truth, does it matter if the one who is doing the suppressing is saved or lost? No, we can think about the ungodly, we can think about the unsaved that suppress truth in their unrighteous living. But the suppression of truth, watch, doesn't hinge on one's position in Christ. <laughs> Did I lose you? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You can say, okay, yeah, you lost me here. It is unrighteousness and ungodliness that suppresses the truth, regardless of who's living that way, whether you're saved or lost. What am I saying? A child of God can even suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Shouldn't I just said that right at the beginning? We could have saved three minutes. Yeah. The only way anybody sees the righteousness of God is through those who are living the righteousness of God. Hey, listen, listen to me. No wonder atheism is on the rise in America. No wonder our nation is getting worse and worse and worse. You know why? Because there are many Christians who live a life that say there is no God. They suppress the truth in righteousness. You do it. I do it at times. That's not our desire. I don't believe it's our goal. It shouldn't be our goal, obviously. But whether we realize it or not, whether those things that we think are insignificant in our living, well, that's just the way those radicals live. That's just the way the, the, those, those uh, fundamental Baptists live or those uh, crazy Pentecostals live or blah, blah, blah. That's just the way they do. No, friend, you're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And so God's wrath is against ungodliness. God's wrath is against unrighteousness of men and women who suppress the truth by living in an unrighteous manner. Yeah. Notice also verse 19 through 20. You want to see why God's wrath, why His wrath is... is, is, uh, is there, is out there. Verse 19 through 20, because of creation. Because of creation. Look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. In them. For God hath showed it unto them. Well, how did he do that? 
Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you know God can be known because he has created us with the knowledge of him? <laughs> yeah, The remotest jungle, the, remote, the, remo- the most remote tribe, in the world, worships something. My friend spent nine and a half years in northern Kenya, right along the Sudanese border. You know what he said? The African knows there's a God. You know what he said? When you hear the war drums at night in the villages out in the, where they lived out in the bush, when you hear those war drums going, you can hear them uh, getting worked up to go out and to, uh, to, uh, to raid a village, and you can hear them pray to God, and they ask God for much loot and a lot of booty, and they want to, to get a lot of stuff, and as they go in and wipe this village out, they watch, they know there's a God. They know there's a God. And God says this in verse 19, that it's in us. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. How did he do that? Look at Romans, look at your next page over here, Romans chapter 2. Look at verse 14. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile uh, accusing or else excusing one another. God has written it in the hearts of every man and every woman and every child. God has written the law of God. We know there's a God. We know there's a God. We can see it in creation. We can see it in our conscience. Number two, we see it in our creation. Verse 20. The physical creation points to creator. (laughs) That's not too hard, folks. I remember being in high school, and uh, one of the kids in our class was by no means a Christian, as neither was I. And uh, But I did have some understanding and teaching of the difference that God created things. But the teacher was going on and on about evolution. And this one kid who was just as much a reprobate as I was, and he said, why can't we just say that God created it and just go on from here? It'd be a lot easier. Yeah, I, I think he wanted out of But why did, he, why did he come to that conclusion? Yeah. Physical creation points to a creator. We know this. We understand what we can't see by what we do see. Let me give you an illustration. Could you imagine if the nearly 8 billion people of this planet were gone at once? There was nobody left here. All that was left was maybe some animals and then all of the things that we built. This building, the the structures of the cities, everything was left. Let's just say for Brother Jim's sake that some uh, aliens showed up and they had the Nephilims with them and Hillary Clinton. And uh, just ask Brother Jim about all this, okay? This is his stuff. And they landed on planet Earth and they began to, they'd never seen a human being before, but they tried to figure out where all this came from. They could look at a chair. They could look at the similarities from a chair to a seat in an automobile, to a pew in a church, and say, boy, they... There's a shape here. They could look at doorways. They could look at clothing and get a kind of an idea of sizes and heights. That watch, they could look at what was built and know it just didn't get here on its own. Somebody had to build it. We can look at the marvels of automobiles. The marvels of these structures, uh, of, the, of the engineering feats of bridges and buildings. And these aliens could say they had, some, they had some brains. Whoever did this, whatever did this, did it, watch, with design and purpose. Amen. Yeah. But you know what we also do? We can look at creation and we get a picture of the Creator. <laughs> yes, we do. Nothing exists from nothing. This world did not come in ex nihilo. It did not come in from zero. 
Evolution is a great, is a great mathematical issue, friend, because you can't, even if you want to go back to all the way back to the Big Bang, if you want to go back to a single protein, it couldn't come from nothing. Listen, zero multiplied by 10 billion is still zero. Yeah. It was created. It was created. Would you just look at the size of the universe alone? Would you look at just just consider our Milky Way galaxy alone? Do you know light travels at 186,000 miles per second and to get to one one end of the Milky Way galaxy to the other you would have to travel 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years. And that is one galaxy among billions. No, you just look at creation and you understand the, the size of the Creator, the depth of the Creator. Friend, there's so much of this creation we still don't understand. Oh, I know the scientists think they do. We still don't. Did you know, did you know if you look up just the, the, whole, uh, the, the whole issue of atoms, of the atomic realm, there are still questions about the atomic realm existing? Of course, we, there's ways that we, they have uh, discovered uh, the atomic world in the atomic realm, but there's still questions about it. Do you, know that, do you know there's bacteria that propel themselves with an internal combustion engine? We thought we were ahead of time. Yeah. Go look it up. We see, that we see the intricacy of our universe. We see the size of our universe. We, we, we see the consistency of our universe. We think of the stability of our planets. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd cook. If we we're a little farther away, we would freeze. What about gravity? What about time? Time is created. No, it says everything about it, that, that there had to be a creator. You can't get away from it. Do you know everything has, me and Brother Ray were talking about DNA this morning. Everything has DNA. This has flipped the science world upside down. We have, a D, we have DNA, dogs and fish and cats and, and, uh, and, and animals and trees. They all have DNA. What is DNA? They're code. It's, it's everything written in the book that makes them operate the way they operate. It's fascinating. And do you know what nobody would say? That this hymnal existed without a writer. That a hymn in here existed without a writer. That it was compiled without somebody to compile it. Yet DNA tells us, DNA alone tells us that somebody wrote the book and put it all into order and that it was a design. I'm spending a lot, way too much time on this. But creation reveals, creation reveals that there is a God. All we have to do is look up. And know that there is a creator. The psalmist said in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. You know why God has a place for wrath? Because of what we already know. We know it written upon our hearts, and we know it based upon we can see creation. Creation, listen, reveals God, and creation reveals the power of and the Godhead. Listen to Psalm 40. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. I'm sorry. 12. Verse 12. Who hath measured the waters? Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Does anybody know how much water the oceans hold? And meted out the heavens with a span. I explained to you the, 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 the breadth of the, of, the, of the Milky Way galaxy, 186,000 light years, 186,000 miles per hour for 100,000 100, years. And the Bible says he meted out the universe, the heavens with a span. That's thumb to pinky. Boom, put it in place. Listen to what he goes on to say. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. God can count the dust. That's awesome. That is incredible. And weighed the mountains in scales. You say, well, what's that mountain weigh? He'd tell you. Is this hyperbole? Uh, Really, no, it's not. He could tell you the weight of a mountain and he could tell you the dust of the, of the earth and he didn't meet out the heavens with a span. He says, and the hills, he weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Yeah. See, you cannot look at creation and not see the power of God. 
You cannot look at creation and not see the, 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 the greatness and, the, and the, mag, uh, the magnitude of God. Look at the tornadoes that went through Alabama and Georgia. And you look at the power of God. Creation and the creative power of God, listen to me this morning, leaves you and I, leaves this world without an excuse. You know what this is called? In the theological realm, it's called natural revelation. Natural revelation. God is revealed in our conscience and He is revealed in creation. And everyone who has ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet is exposed to natural revelation. No excuse. No excuse. Can I tell you this morning, the atheist knows there's a God. You say, oh, he doesn't worship anything. Sure he does. Number one. Yep. So he doesn't have to worship God. The agnostic knows there's a God. The little child knows there's a God. Ooh, hear me here. The animal world knows there's a God. But Carl, you're in Jonah today, weren't you? You think God, you don't think the animal world responds to when God commands them? That great fish, that whale that ate Jonah, that raven that fed Elijah? Yeah. Listen to me. God's wrath is upon all of those who reject natural revelation. They will stand before God one day without an excuse. Without an excuse. And not only does the natural not only does the, the creation and conscience reveal the existence of God and lead us to the condemnation of God, but God's wrath is also because of a will because of willful rejection. There are those that say, Yeah, I know there's a God. Yes, I know the God of the Bible. Yes, I know that, but not for me. That's for somebody else. Just not my cup of tea. I, I just choose to worship whatever he is out in the hills and the rivers and the mountains, and I just worship God there. Look at verse 21 through 23. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made out made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Look what man does. No, we don't want God, but they'll make a God out of the things he created. (laughs) Yeah. Is it not more appropriate here in the end of verse 22, that last two words became fools? Yeah. They knew God. But they refuse to glorify Him as God. We know what glorify means. It means to put on display the attributes of somebody else. To put on display by the way we live. But you know what they do? They didn't, they didn't put on display the attributes of God and what they knew of Him. Instead, they, they attributed uh, not the creation to God, but they attributed creation to Mother Nature and to Father Time and to things like evolution. You know what evolution, with all of its problems, you know what it satisfies? It satisfies the one who just doesn't want God. You know, I mean, look at all of the problems with evolution. All, just the, all the logical inconsistencies. And they will go with it. Why? Because if they didn't go with it, you have to go with God. And they don't want that. So they're going to stick with the evolution. But notice this also this here. Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. This is the outcome of atheism. Since they reject God, they don't have anybody to thank. (laughs) What a miserable place to be. But let me ask this question. Why is it innate to be thankful if there's not an ultimate source of gratitude? Why do parents just innately teach their children now, say thank you, say thank you? Now, now, oh, no, 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 say thank you. Good, good, that's good. Or when they get a little older, uh, you're welcome. Oh, yeah, thanks. 
Why do we teach gratitude? <laughs> yeah, it's because it's innate. God, God designed us that way to be thankful because we're not the source of anything. He is. And you know what happens here? Look at this. They, they know God, but they reject God and they come to the place of unthankfulness. They've taken everything that reveals God, even their own internal conscience, and they said no. Look at the consequences of saying no. Their imaginations were vain, verse 21. Their imaginations were vain. Their foolish heart was darkened. And then verse uh, 22, they became fools. They believe they're the smart ones. (laughs) They believe that they have better understanding. They believe that the science is the answer. But Psalm 14 answers these people where it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. It's the fool that says there is no God. But would you notice the progression here? I want you, I don't, don't miss this. It starts here in the mind. See this? Verse 21. Um, yeah, because when they knew God, it started in the mind. They knew God. Then it moved to the heart. Look at this here. And neither were thankful, but be, uh, I'm sorry, uh, but knew God. They glorified Him not a God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. And their foolish heart was darkened. So when they rejected God from their mind, when they rejected God from their thinking, their heart became darkened. And then look at finally verses 26 through 32. We're going to get there in just a second. It moves to the actions. Mind, heart, actions. Mind, heart, actions. You can see this progression in Genesis 3. Remember the serpent who is the most, more, the most subtle beast of the field there and of, of the creation. He came into Eve. And he did the very same thing to Eve. He started with her mind. Hath God said. He attacked her knowledge. He attacked what Adam had told her. Right? God didn't tell Eve directly. He told Adam. Adam told Eve. And he attacked that. Hath God said. And then notice what he said next. Ye shall not die. He went after her heart. How did he do that? Well, he said, what was Satan saying to her? God lied. You're not going to die. Well, God said it will die. No, he didn't. No, that's not what he means. So what, what's, what's the big problem about, about, about saying God lied? Well, it attacks the relationship. No, Adam and Eve had a relationship with their creator. And when Satan comes along and says, well, that doesn't really mean that. The word of God doesn't really mean that. The Bible doesn't really mean that. There's mistakes in the Bible. It was just written by a bunch of dumb fishermen. You can't trust it. God didn't really mean that. What's he doing? He's attacking the relationship you have with God. He's calling him a liar. You know what he's doing? He's going after your heart. He starts at your mind, goes to your heart, and finally, she ate it. Went to the actions. Went to the actions. Can I tell you, Satan always attacks the mind first. You need to be saturated in the Word of God. You need to be memorizing the Word of God to to combat the lie of Satan. See, watch this. When you willfully reject the knowledge of God, you start down a path of destruction. And at, at the end of that path is the wrath of God. Not because you've never heard the gospel. Because you didn't respond to what you did know. Yeah. Have you ever had anybody ask you this question? Fair question. What about those who've never heard about Jesus? How are they responsible? How many people have never heard the name Jesus Christ? How are they responsible? Well, I'll tell you how they're responsible. It's right here. They have a conscience. They know there's a God. It's written on their heart, the Bible says. John 1, Jesus is that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You know there's a God. Secondly, they have creation. They know there's a creator. Listen to me closely, please. If they had responded to the light that, they do, that, that we do have, 
God would have moved heaven and earth to get in the gospel. You see some, you know what I see some lands and some, some areas across the world that don't have missionaries there. And I, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder, well, maybe there's not missionaries there because they haven't responded to the light that they do have. So eventually the one who says there is no God, verse 23, ends up making gods out of the material of creation. (laughs) Can I tell you this morning, nobody has gone to hell because they didn't have a clear presentation of the gospel. Everyone who has ever gone to hell has gone there because they didn't want God. Amen? Amen? Now I want you to show, I want to show you here, and we're about done. I want to show you how God's wrath is manifest. You know, when you think of the wrath of God, what does it look like to you? Do you imagine Sodom and Gomorrah? (laughs) Fire and brimstone raining down. Lot's wife, pillar of salt, things like that. That's That's a wrath of God falling. Well, it was. Maybe you might imagine the flood. Maybe you might imagine the great coming tribulation. Yeah. You might think about that. Well, verses 24 through 37 reveal what the wrath of God looks like. Remember mind, heart, now we're into the actions. Now we're into the actions. There is a downward progression in the life of a God rejecter. Notice this here. Would you look at verse 24? Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God also gave them up. God abandoned them to their own devices. After after so long a time, God said, fine. Fine. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Absolutely. You know what this does not indicate? This does not indicate that God caused them to sin. This is not determination. Just because God knows, it doesn't mean He determines. That's a, that's a, wrong, that's a wrong thinking. God knows, yes, but listen, He has allowed them to do what they already wanted to do. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, uh, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. Listen to this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Drawn away of his what? Own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth Death. Notice this, God also gave them up. God also allowed them to have their own devices, be to their own devices. He also, that word also there, He also gave them up. They made their, they made their choice. They made their choice and God responded. And he, look what it says here. He gave them up to uncleanness. God abandoned them to do what they have always wanted to do. They chose to reject God. They've chosen their sin. And God finally says, okay. Okay. But but listen to me, please. God did not cause them to sin. It's right here in the text. You want to see it? Look at verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through... The lust of their own heart. Yeah. Now notice this. This is where it gets really bad. Once, once that individual is given over, the path is inevitable. Verse 26, lesbianism. That's, that's an awful word to have to say on a Sunday morning. Verse 27, sodomy, homosexuality. Verse 28, a reprobate mind. Verse 29, completely filled, being filled with all unrighteousness. Listen to this list, would you please? Being filled means that there's not one ounce of anything left in them but unrighteousness. Being filled with all unrighteousness, 
fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. You ever, you ever uh, read a news article of what some people do and you're like, who thinks of this? My CPA once told me about, uh, about some, some scam these people were doing. Uh, they would uh, file, they'd file their taxes. They would write themselves a check, which was, didn't really matter because it was just paper. They filed all the right documents and they got a return on something that they never made or paid. Documents were right and they had grandpa sign the check who was going to die soon. Couldn't go after grandpa. <laughs> and I said, who thinks of this? I would have never thought of that. I wrote down, no, I'm, t- I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, inventors, inventors of evil things. Oh, where did I, li- what a list. I, I left off somewhere. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters. Here it is, evil, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents. That's in the progression? Amen. Wow. Disobedient to parents. Hmm. Without understanding. Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. Implacable, unmerciful. What a list. What a list. Do you notice the pattern here? Verse 24, uncleanness. Verse 26 moves to the affections, the heart. Verse 28, reprobate mind. There's no convincing that person. They're done. They are done. Why? Because God has left them to their own devices. And they're at a place of no return. They can't be saved? No, they cannot be saved. Do you know when they get there? Nope. And don't ever act like you know when somebody's there. Because I've seen some of the, the biggest heathens get saved. Does this mean homosexuals can't be saved? No. Absolutely not. This is just showing here where this leads. This is a part of the path. And eventually they get to the place where the mind is so reprobate. What is going on here in this list of things? What's going on? God is still drawing. God is still, God is still rebuking. God is still trying to get them to repent and change their mind. Right. What does that mean? Well, he's trying to get the homosexual to change his mind. Yeah. Oh, I know. There's teaching out there that they can't be saved. That's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's unscriptural. But they can come to the place where they reject long enough that they will not get saved. They will not. Uncleanness, affections, a reprobate mind. Two different economies. Two different economies. God's economy, God addresses the mind. It affects the mind, affects our heart, and our heart affects our actions, the way we live. In Satan's economy, he goes after the mind as well. But the effects of the satanic mind begin begin with the actions. Begins with what we do. And then what we do eventually infects the heart. And then we become so hardened, the mind will never be changed. Listen to John 3 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Because of their actions, you're not changing their mind. Because they love it. And then eventually that heart sears the mind. And the final destination of the God rejecter, look at verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Wow. No, see, there is a there is a time in their life when they were aware of what they were doing wasn't right. No, before I got saved, I knew right and wrong. <laughs> I knew things we did were wrong. I knew it was considered wrong. 
didn't bother me a lick, but he still knew it was wrong. But see, these people move from that after such a long time. They, they're, they're aware of their sin. Maybe, maybe they even attempted to fix it once in a while. But as they finally got to the bottom of the trail, they begin to give up on their own remedy. And then they begin to join the others. And then actually they end up finding their enjoyment in those who lived that wicked life that you once acknowledged was right or wrong, that you once acknowledged was wrong. No, they got to the place where they found enjoyment in those people. Why? Because they began to suppress the truth that they did know. Pretty dangerous thing to suppress truth in unrighteousness. This is what I'm saying this morning. This should motivate us as, as, as those in Christ. The wrath of God is inevitable. God cannot be holy and righteous and at the same time excuse wickedness. It can't happen. But the way in which God exercises His wrath upon His creation is not always like we imagine, is it? See, this is the, deceive, the, the, the deception of our own sin. Watch this, watch. You know what happens? Especially to those that grew up in church and that know truth. You know what happens? They begin to live wrong. They begin to live unrighteously. They begin to be drawn away uh, by, by this world and they begin to live that way. And they know right and wrong and they begin to watch and go, well, nothing's happened. They're waiting for the judgment of God. They're waiting for the hammer of God to come down on them. They've been taught that their whole life. And they begin to live a certain way. And they, they realize, well, nothing's happened. Huh. And then, then they begin to realize, well, I've still got a job. Well, I've still got money. Well, you know, I'm still doing this. I've been taught that this would happen if I do this. And the world would fall on top of me if I did this. Well, that's not happened yet. Huh. I haven't really come under any judgment yet. Watch this. But all the while, the sin itself is doing the destruction. Are you listening to me? It's Listen, the wrath of God isn't like the flood all the time. It's not always like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not always going to be like the tribulation, period. On an individual level... God's wrath, here's what it is. It's Him backing away and allowing us to continue in the rejection and the sin that we desire. Yeah. No, God's wrath is the sin they love. Does that make sense? And then sin, watch, sin ends up doing all the damage. Destroys the actions, destroys the heart, it destroys the mind. Send us such a number on us that the unbeliever can get to such a place that God says, okay, have what you want. And I don't care how much gospel preaching, I don't care how many tracts they receive, I don't care how much pleading there is, it's to no avail. They're on their way to hell. Because they've resisted long enough. Wow. Can I tell you this morning, this was one of the straws <laughs> that broke the camel's back in my own life. I've heard this before. I've heard preached these things before. And I remember wrestling with God one Morning, <laughs> spent most of my time, would you listen to me please? Most of my time through Bible college, questioning God, questioning the existence of God, questioning my relationship with Him, yeah. continuing on in, a, in a, just, a, just a regular lifestyle. I remember... Coming home one night, I was driving home and said these words. I seem to know everything about you. Do you even know who I am? He was just a thousand miles away. 
banging my head up against the wall trying to please God. Yeah. And I remember coming to terms with this one morning and just really wrestling with God over my eternal condition. I had placed all of this hope on some prayer at eight years old that I didn't even remember. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, Lord, I do this, and God, I do this, and I do this, and I do all these wonderful good things. Uh, yeah. And I remember getting up from there thinking, this is ridiculous. I mean, how does somebody saved, not saved, do all these good things? Well, Jesus said, many will come unto me in that day. Say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Right? And I got up from there and I remember I was thinking, this is ridiculous. And it was like one more time the Holy Spirit spoke. And I remember thinking this. What if he never convicts again? I knew this. I knew this. And I said, what if he never convicts again? And friend, I turned to the Lord Jesus that, that morning and repented. And I got saved that morning. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Doesn't have to be too late. But you really ought not to tempt God. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took all of the wrath of God against sin. No, this is what's in your future without Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Jesus already took it all. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. I love that. We don't have to pay for our sins. Why? Because we can't. We cannot. It is so impossible to pay for our sins that there are those who will spend an eternity in hell paying for their sins. And never paying enough to get out. Yeah. So listen, if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, you're on a path to destruction. Yeah. Now, this is how much we love you. Because we warn you over and over again. You're on, a way, you're on your way to hell. You're on your way to destruction. The wrath of God is on your life. But if you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and would admit who you are as, as uh, separate from God and a sinner, if you would believe what He says about Himself and what He said about you, if you would just confess it and, and ask Him to save you, He'd save you. And you know what? The perfect record of Jesus would be put on your account and your account would be expunged. And you'd be free. And then you could go to Romans 8 and said, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which be in Christ Jesus. What if God never convicts you again? Are you at that point? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Today, today is the day of salvation. If you harden not your heart, today. Today's the day. The wrath of God is seen in the destruction of the sin itself.